Jason, uh, thank you so much for being on the show, man. It's an honor to have you here. I appreciate you having me, Derek. Looking forward to this chat. Good, man. Well, uh, let's let's jump right in. Where? How did you get started in sales consulting? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go way back, uh, mm -hmm. just kind of like you know, start from the beginning. So I'm a product of two self-employed parents. Uh, my parents wow. who now are both in their early seventies, um, have been entrepreneurs since their early twenties. Right. Mm. So, uh, they grew up, uh, being entrepreneurs before it was cool to say you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> like everybody wants to be an entrepreneur today. Right. right, right but they right. were, they were doing it and they were, they were in the true hustle service-based businesses, never had businesses more than seven figures. Right. They so they were the, the, the true, lifestyle entrepreneur business owners and they happen to do it as a couple over the course of the you know the last 50 years they've they've owned or operated between seven and eight different businesses have wow. sold some have laid some down so i grew up in an entrepreneurial household where really the success of our family from a monetary standpoint was the success of our business right. um, but it also i was attuned to work from home culture and having parents around because they they valued being part of our lives as, as kids. I have an older brother, younger sister. And so I was kind of on the cutting edge of seeing what work from home and entrepreneurship can do from a, from a family standpoint and in, 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 in success standpoint. So I saw the ups, I saw the downs, but um, my journey really started when I was a kid and out of my three siblings, um, my older, I was the first one to kind of strike it out on my own. My older yeah. brother followed shortly after, and my sister is gainfully employed. Um, but she also is considering some, some things on the side as well. So it's, if, if you could ever say it's in our blood, entrepreneurship's in our blood. <laughs> literally, literally. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but that sounds like the, it would be intense, uh, to yeah. entrepreneurial and parents. Cause you know, entrepreneurs, the reputation that we have is that we're highly driven. Yep. Um, and, and we work a ton of hours. Yep. So what was that family dynamic like really, because you might have learned all the valuable lessons and, you know, mm -hmm. if you put that positive spin on it, but sure. uh, my, my dad also entrepreneur did a lot of different things. And, yep. uh, you know, as a result was kind of MIA at, at times. Right. Sure. So, and I know yeah. from my own standpoint, that's what, when I started this, my kids will tell you now, like, ah, oh, we hardly ever saw our dad during those times in the early days. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so for, um, the way it really operated early on when, when we were all young, me and my siblings, my dad was the one doing, he was gone, you know, Mm -hmm. at the office doing the stuff, right? Managing the people. And and my mom did a lot of the, the payroll, the admin stuff kind of at home. So nice. she was able okay. to be at home. We had an office downstairs in our basement. So when mom had to go down there, we kind of knew, you know, we had to leave her alone for a little right. bit. Right? <laughs> yeah. But um, my dad burdened yes. a lot of the leaving the home, right? So, okay. um, but, but, one of the things that they invested in early on is they invested their their time and money into other people because they mm -hmm. they didn't want to live to work. They wanted to work to live. So wow. they were able to, and quite honestly, in some ways, probably hurt their business from a financial standpoint to have more employees maybe than they actually needed. But the benefit to them was worth it because they were able to work in some level of a schedule. My dad was very much a, he was, you know, drinking his cup of coffee out the door at seven, was mm -hmm. home at five reading the paper and the chair, you know, kind of like that old school yeah. you know, Rockwellian type of picture. So he was, but he, so he was a fixture. He was there. It was, he was there. 
Yeah. Yep. And we were super involved in sports and he didn't miss many games. If, if any, you know, he was the one driving us, you know, coaching us, talking to us. So they found a nice balance. Now that being said, it's not all, it's not all rosy, right? My parents got divorced when I was in college. Mm. So, um, you know, some of which could have been like their work and personal life was so intermingled that, there's, there's a downside of that there. Now I'm, I'm grateful to, to share that they're, they're both friendly again and friends and they, they hang out together. And, and so that's all wonderful, but like, which is not normal. We're grateful for Mm -hmm. that, but you know, there is, there is downsides to that. Right. So my, my wife, um, is a children's pastor, right? So she has a very different job than than the job I have. And it balances us out because she knows what I have to do. I know what she has to do, but we're not doing the same thing, running the same business. So there's, there's value with separation. Yeah, there is, there is my, my wife, uh, she'll say it jokingly, but I don't like salespeople. She's in, she's in accounting. <laughs> she's in the finance department, right? She manages uh, <laughs> project manager. So she, she's removed from sure. sales. I mean, she sends invoices and she collects, right. you know, manages right. the, uh, the, the, the numbers and the bean, she's a bean counter, as I always tell her. Yeah. Um, right. But sure she loves that. Yeah. She was more, she doesn't like salespeople. So there you go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, opposite, you know, sure. uh, not, not at all in the same lane, but opposites yep. attract in that way. And we find Absolutely. balance each other. Right. But no, that's always interesting because I, I know the burden that entrepreneurial path can create, but also to your point earlier on, it just, it creates an incredible amount of inspiration. It creates a, a path and a true you know, uh, ambition that uh, you can follow through on. And mm-hmm. I, I love that, that that was seated in you early. Uh, I know, I think it was uh, final days of, final years of high school. My dad gave me a rich dad, poor dad. And he was mm-hmm. really trying to instill in me early on, like, think broadly, don't think like an employee, you yeah. know, you know, there's other ways to, you know, garner wealth and grow and, and so forth. So yeah, I read that uh, book in my early 20s myself. So yeah, very, very good yeah, book. Foundational read. Guys. Yeah, foundational, absolutely. Exactly. So um talk to me about your practice. Now you uh let, let's let's unpack the segue from uh you know leaving college, getting into banking, finance, yep. and then uh somehow segueing into starting your own sales consultancy. What's that yeah. brief story look like? Right. So, so picking it up. So I went to college to get a business and finance degree to go into the family business. Um, as I just stated earlier, my parents got divorced and I was a sophomore in college yeah, and, and businesses kind of separated, right? Like, mm. so, so my, you know, uh, businesses separated, my, my dad and mom sold two of their, their two main businesses and then started to go their separate ways to do their own things. So what I once thought was going to be the dream of like, life is a straight line. I'm going to do all these things, get in the family business. Life's going to be easy. As we know, that's not the way it's designed. There's a lot of zigzags and stop signs and, and detours. And that was my first detour when it came to my what I thought I was going to do professionally. Uh, gratefully, I got an opportunity. I, I interned at Merrill Lynch for three years. I thought I was going to go be a, you know, a, a financial advisor, but that was during the dot-com crash. So I had to pivot from doing that because my, my job offer was put on hold. And then I got picked up by Wells Fargo. So I worked for Wells Fargo for 10 years. I worked in their consumer finance banking end and um, basically managed loan production offices for Wells Fargo. So spent 10 years doing that, climbing up the corporate ladder, multiple promotion, moved six times in 11 years, and um, had, you know, got a really good education on consumer and business 
finance, banking, and in all of those things. So I was grateful for that opportunity. Um, moved back to Buffalo where, where I reside now, um, back in 2010, worked for another bank for a short period of time, but then got headhunted to run a, a small privately held family owned, um, financial services company. And that was kind of my first step back into getting back to my roots, I guess you would say, and that small business family entrepreneurship side of things. So did that for almost six years, um, over tripled the size of the organization, got some equity in it, but you know, family business was going one way. My trajectory was going a different way. Another and zig and another zag. Another zig and another zag, right? What right. when you think there's a straight line, there wasn't. Um, and then I was faced with a decision of now what do I do? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, there was there was a kind of a, a differing of opinion and where I wanted the business to go and where they wanted the business to go. Um, not being family, they made their decision and they you know, they moved on one way, and then I was left trying to figure out what do I really want to do next? Right. And this is kind of where the 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 sales consultancy was born. Um, I quite honestly, and this is just being direct, like I kind of was sick of making other people very wealthy and me getting the crumbs. Um, and I know that sounds very selfish, but I'm an all in type of person. So when I'm going into these businesses, whether it's corporate banking or whether it's family business, everything I have is going into it. And the, the thoughts of me going and building another business without controlling my own destiny just did just seemed like a bad decision. Um, as a matter of fact, um, before I started my, uh, my, my company, Naker Consulting, the sales consultancy uh, and the growth consultancy, I actually had a, a job offer that was going to pay me multiple six figures okay. and I turned it down, um, with, with no job prospect, you burned burn the boats, you know, I, I burned the ships. That's absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and, and people thought I was crazy. And I said, and I, and people said, why did you say no? And I said, I feel so, um, moved and, in 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 pushed into this direction to just try it myself. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur from, from the get go from being your kid. DNA my parents are entrepreneurs mm -hmm. in my DNA. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror one day and saying, if you're as good as you think you are, go all in and do it. Right. And I'll never forget the, 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 the face and the managing director. When I turned down this offer, he said, do you want to, are you crazy? <laughs> He's like, do you want to think about this? Cause he, he actually knew my situation. And I said, listen, I, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Um, I'm grateful that you would have that um, investment, both financially and emotionally, you know, in me. I said, but I have to do this for myself. At the time, I was 37 years old, just turned actually just turned 38. I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it when I'm 55, mm. right? Like, I'm just not going to do it. So let's you have the energy now to that. burn let's it at it, both right? the candle at both yeah. ends and do whatever it takes to turn this. Do thing whatever on. it takes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I went all in. Nacre Consulting. Uh, people say like, what does that mean? So Nacre is the organic compound that creates a pearl, right? Wow. So oh, and, and Jason Pearl. Yeah, Jason there you Pearl. Go. So my last name's Pearl. So the reason I, I named it Nacre Consulting is I've always intended to have my practice be a boutique firm not always just be a solopreneur, but have a couple people working with me. So okay. I had enough foresight in the beginning. A lot of people don't like to work for the person's name, right? Like, unless yeah, you're yeah, a yeah. I'm with firm, you. That's, that's right? literally like why I didn't call mine like Williams Consulting or something right. or Derek Williams, because it's it just, I didn't want to make it about me. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. So I wanted to be able to, to bring really good, <clears throat> talented people in and have this boutique growth consultancy together. So Naker Consulting was born about 
20 days after um, I had I had broken up with this other organization and I just started in in growth mode. And what I did was I made a goal for myself that I was going to talk to two new people every day for six months. So five days a week, two new people um, and just talk to them, you know, find out what they're doing. They find out what I'm thinking about doing. I'm asking opinions. I'm asking thoughts. I was asking very boldly for introductions to people. If you think there's someone else that can help me do that. So I did that for about six months and every client in the first three to four years of my consultancy came, could be drawn back to those two meetings a day with different people. Wow. And that, that's kind of right how there. I did it. Yeah, that's how well, I did it. L- let me back up because there's sure. there's some there's some pieces of this that I want to tie together with the audience. So your time with Wells Fargo specifically, I think, was really instrumental in your getting to where you are now as mm-hmm. well, right? Like yes. you were effectively consulting other branches, other offices, right? Talked a little bit about yeah. that. You had a success as a leader and did so well that now they wanted you to go and help other teams do that is my understanding. Yeah. So I was essentially, so I started out in a management trainee position. So I did like sales for nine months, killed it, got an assistant manager job and then got a manager job nine months later. Right. Mm -hmm. So within 18 months of me being there at 23 years old, I was managing people. And they, my first management assignment was in this small town in Northeast Ohio. And it was a abysmal performing branch. And within 23 months, I made it the best branch in the region. Love and then they said, okay, this, this kid may be onto something. So I was kind of coined the fixer and they kept sending me to like broken places and fixing them. Right. So I got a knack in, in my twenties of how to go into a situation where the majority of the employees were older than me, you know, both in seniority within the organization and age as, as a human being. Right. And just, but the, I, yeah, yeah, this more experience in that arena as well. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I just kind of went in and said, like, I, I was able to figure out how to work with the people, how to understand how the people operate and what made them tick. And I was able to slowly but surely start to transform what they wanted out of a leader, what I could give them and what we needed out of them as employees to be able to turn the branch around. So I did that four times. And then I was uh, promoted to be like an area manager. Right. And I was moved to New Jersey. I had, you know, almost a dozen retail locations and, and and then kind of did that with a district and then did the same thing for a region. And, and essentially I became a consultant for these branches and for these areas that were underperforming. So, you know, the self-proclaimed kind of fixer mentality was just something I got good at. Yeah. And then, um, I left Wells Fargo because Wells and Wachovia merged together in the right around 2010. And they wanted to move me again. And I had a young family. Uh, I had one daughter, another one on the way. I'd moved my wife six times in 11 years. And I was like, okay, like enough's enough. Poor thing. <laughs> well, Wells Fargo had been wonderful to me. And to this day, I still credit them for my education and business early on. Right. And But I just said, okay, enough's enough. So they were gracious enough to say, hey, okay, if you want to exit, we'll give you a severance and we'll move you wherever you want to move. So I did a regional job search. HSBC at the time was headquartered in Buffalo, New York. They're an international bank, but they had their national headquarters in the United States in Buffalo. And they created a job for me to be a consultant for um, branches, you know, and I would go in and I would do growth consulting for these branches. So I just got really good at seeing opportunities in broken areas and in in, in broken places. And um, that has really informed the way I consult. Now, I don't consult just with 
people that are underperforming, but a lot of the methodologies are similar to get growth out of the people. And then the revenues come with that, you know? So it's kind of the people over profits type of thing. Well, and then the thing I do like about that is for those that are thinking about getting into consulting in the future that are in a sales capacity today is establishing that track record a one, like you, in order to get to that point down the way, you have to first master the level that you're at. Uh, I'll never forget early days wanting to start a sales consultancy, sales training firm one day. Uh, I, but I knew I wasn't ready. I needed to hit the mark, if you will, multiple times. And so you did that, you proved yourself and you were promoted and people asked for you to come into other areas. And so if that sort of thing is happening to someone here in the audience, if you're listening, watching, and that's kind of the trajectory you feel like you're on, you've you know, hit the mark multiple times. People are asking you to come in and fix things or take over teams. You know, you're headed in the in the right way. Now, when you jumped off, though, uh, I guess mm-hmm. when you turned that offer down uh, yep. that you mentioned, and when you burned the boats, yeah, you started building a personal brand and you started out solo at first before yes. I mean, you didn't immediately start hiring people. So, yeah. talk about that jump off point, because I want to tie it back to the family component in the fact that mm-hmm. you, like you just mentioned, you have two daughters. Yep. So when you turn that offer down with no prospects of another job and no, like, it's not like you had a fat funnel of clients, nope. you know, nope. pinned up, ready to go. I'll be, I'll be very honest. Yeah. I had a $38,000 runway. That was my runway. All right. And I had kids in private school, two cars, Ooh. a mortgage, bills, right? Like yeah, I had that 30,000, that 38 was going to go. The 38,000 was not going very far, right? <laughs> like, and so I knew, and, and, and for me, the motivation was like, I knew what my runway was. Okay. And I was like, we got to make this happen, right? Because the, the reason that I decided to, to go out on my own is number one, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go and, and do it all over again and not have equity and not, not do that thing. But also my my personal life, like I felt very called that I need to reprioritize my lifestyle for my family, what was most important. And in the three pillars that 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 I lead my life with are faith is faith, family, and freedom. Right. right? So that. so I said, like, the only way I can live out these three pillars in my life is to control what I do professionally. Right. And and this is not begrudging anyone that does a W2. This was just what worked for my life, right? right like right, right. there's a there's a lot of wonderful W2 jobs out there. I do not begrudge at all. For me, for Jason Pearl, it's it's what made sense. So I I knew that to live out the life I wanted to live, this is what I had to do. And and I will be quite honest, like Naker Consulting, it, even though I have two people that work with me, it's still a lifestyle business, right? Like I am the 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 success financially of our family lifestyle is all in Naker Consulting, right? And you know, I, obviously, I have some personal brand stuff that I do, but. I needed to go all in because if I want to live the life I want to live, I need to build a business around that. And that's right, right. kind of what I felt so motivated to do. And, and that's what I ultimately built. But talk about the headspace. I mean, as a father as well, who started a business with kids in high school, yep. um, that's stressful, you know? Yep. So when you look down at your kids, you think about the 38K you have in the bank and yep. the, the runway you know, I want to understand how your head was, how you were processing that component. You know, I have these two people, these two humans yep. looking at me that are relying on me. And if I, this doesn't work, you know, I mean, that's a scary, scary thing to face. And it takes an incredible amount of confidence and belief sure. and faith and these sorts of things, I'm sure. But for that person listening that feels called to mm-hmm. make that jump, 
uh, entrepreneurially, whether it's in sales consulting or any mm -hmm. other realm of business, mm -hmm. what was the thought process to say, okay, I'm going to burn the boats because that moment is not, it, it, it can't be that simple. It has, I would imagine there's some stress. So, so for, for me, it, it, the simplest part of it was I did not want to regret trying. Got it. And I said, if I fall on my face and fail, like I was a really good VP of sales. I was a really good, you know, director level position. I was a really good division manager, right? I could go get a W2. Even though I turned one down, I could go get one. But what I couldn't get back is continue to stay on that wheel for me and in and, and, and just the hamster not, wheel. Yeah. The hamster wheel and not get yep. the progress that I personally was looking for. So for me, I was motivated by not regretting, right? And in and, and this, and what is very important to, to your point, if there's somebody listening out there thinking about doing it, you have to understand your numbers, first of all, right? So yeah. like I I understood my numbers. I knew what my monthly burn was, I knew what I could lower my monthly burn to be. I knew what my timeline was. I knew the type of work I wanted to do. And I knew what my skill set was. So I niched into that and then spent every moment of my waking days telling people what I was doing and wondering if they could introduce me to other clients. I got my first client in two weeks and they paid me $7,500 upfront in that check. Right. They gave me, a, so it was a 70, it was a $15,000 project. I got 7,500 bucks up front, took a picture of that check. And I was like, okay, this is not framed on your wall back yeah, there. <laughs> right. Like this buys me another yeah. month basically. Right. And that's how I was breathing room. At, yeah. Right. Okay. Like this is buying me breathing room. Right. Yeah. And so I knew my numbers, but I also knew that if I failed, I was going to be okay with it. And, and one of the things that is important is I used to not be okay with failure. I used to be deathly afraid of failure because I worried about what other people thought of me. When I made this choice, I was like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm doing this for faith, family, freedom, for Jason Pearl, for Tiffany Pearl and their children. And to like make a legacy of, of the father that I wanted to be and the provider that I wanted to be for them. So that's why I did it And anyone that told me I was wrong. I just, I had no space to listen to. Cause I was like, I'm just going to do it. And it wasn't that I want to prove you wrong. It was that this is what I know I need to do. And if I fail, I will be able to pick myself off the ground and then go interview for that job and then keep providing. With, the with your chest stuck out, knowing that you, right. you took the chance and you tried, you didn't just sit there scared and wondering nope. what it might be like. And I think that, you know, it, when I hear this, that is a phenomenal example to set for our young people, you know, to have your daughters see you do that. Yeah. will inevitably inspire them to do similar things in their journey in life. Um, because if they saw dad being timid and scared, talking about his goals and dreams, but not actually acting upon yeah. them, uh, that would have been detrimental. Whereas they saw you step out yeah. and luckily they saw you have success, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. You know, yeah. uh, so that's, that's honorable in, in a big yeah. way. So father to father, kudos for doing that. that. You know, you, yeah probably could have waited till they were older or when it was more safe or secure <laughs> yeah. and stable, yeah. but you know what? It's like, this is the calling. I need to be congruent yep. with my, with my, uh, with my values and yeah. you made it happen. So yes, I love that. Now going from an individual solo operator mm -hmm. to having employees, that's another inflection point because yeah. I'm personally uh, have up until recently and actually having conversations with people like you mm -hmm. have never really wanted to take on more, always wanted it to be selfishly, yeah. I guess, uh, enough yeah. so that I had time with family and, you know, could do what I want to do with my time, but also make a good earning. So 
but now talking to more consultants and, yeah, sure. and, and, and having a little bit more uh, uh, attention and an interest, it starts you thinking, you know, what does that look like to hire a couple of employees and that sort of thing. So talk to me about the inflection point of going from live, it's, it's still a lifestyle business, but yep. solo operator to yep. slightly scaling up and having employees on staff, like what sure. drove that and what's the dynamic difference? Sure. So what... What really drove that is quite honestly, the idea of passive income, if mm. I'm just being real, right? Yeah, um, yeah. There's only so many hours in the day that I am willing to work, right? There's only so many hours in the week that I'm willing to work so I can continue to honor faith, family, freedom, right? And um, I realized that the demand that I was creating was going to get to a point that was going to completely put me out of being able to take on any new clients. So through, you know, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn and through networking. And I had known a few people that were just, they always seemed like so enamored with what I was doing. Right. And, and so we started meeting and talking and, and the first gentleman I brought on, um, I had actually interviewed him at a different company and it just kind of worked out after a cup of coffee that he was like, Hey, I, I actually have a client that I'm thinking about, you know, doing this with, I would love for you to kind of help me through this and be, and, and, you know, would you be into that? And I said, sure, but here's the way it's going to work. Like if you want the the cloud of Naker consulting and the multiple years of success and track record and all these things, like, here's how we'll do this. You're going to, you're going to bring this in and I'll be the executive sponsor on the engagement. Mm -hmm. I'll work with you. You work with the client and then we'll figure this out. So we did a test and it worked out wonderfully. And then uh, we did one more test. We did two tests both worked out well. He made money. I made some passive income on it. And then we said, okay, let's formalize this. So then we formalized it. And, um, and then he has a book of business that he works with that I'm still as the president of the, of the company, the executive sponsor of, and you know, the work comes through, I handle all the billing, all the marketing. I do some lead gen, right. For the organization right, and the business, right, which right, is right. why I I'm super active on LinkedIn and some other areas. And it just kind of worked because what, what created is, I'm helping this gentleman have have the freedom that I have, right? And right. and do this really meaningful work for businesses. Um, and and he's able to provide that same thing for his family because right. we shared similar values. And then um, it just started working. And the more business he brings on, we have it structured where you know there's percentage splits and things like that. Where he if gets you the bring line. it in, you're, he's right. servicing. There's a cut, and if there's he cut, brings yeah. it in, there's an additional cut. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So Are they contractors yeah. or W two? What's, uh, so they're, they're contractors. That's, that's how, that's how, that's how they've worked. Um, mm -hmm. the, 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 one of my, the guys I work with is we're looking at making it more, um, more payroll driven, more W2. That's more maybe what his family needs. The right. other, the other person I work with, like they love the fact that it's contractor work. They do some real estate investing and some other things. So it just works, but they're both very talented in the sales consulting realm. And quite honestly, both of them have better skills in certain areas that I have. Right. Well, yeah, and then, that's the best, that's the best and, setup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm not trying to hire clones of myself, right. I'm trying to hire mm. people to fill the gap so we can provide the right level of service to our clients. Right. Okay. And we're not trying to be everything to everybody, but there are certain things within the sales realm. Like one of my, one of the guys I work with, he is an amazing sales coach. He's so into the nitty gritty process. We'll listen to phone calls. We'll, you know, do a lot of those things. Right. And he's, and he's wonderful at it. I'm doing a lot more higher level strategy, leadership, growth level consulting, where, um, the work that I do and to kind of pivot to do that 
isn't always available for me. So he does that work really, really well. So it was, it was born out of passive income. And then it turned into a more complete um, growth consultant offering for our clients that makes them very happy. Yeah. It sounds like it's a win, win, win all around. So all around. you're yeah. winning the, the, the contractors, right. your consultants are winning and right. as well as obviously the clients are, they're getting a diversified skill set and more yep. availability. And I imagine you guys partner up time to time. We you do. Know, so yeah. Okay. So yeah. it sounds. And in, and in addition to that, I'm sorry to, to jump no, in. Cut you, like, go ahead. There are, there are things that I do very much like an employer where like, for example, the beginning of the beginning of this year, we had our first ever Naker summit, right? So nice. I, so okay. I took my team to, um, to Naples, Florida, right? We rented an Airbnb. We had some great dinners, went to the beach during the day, you know, put sticky notes on the walls, of the Airbnb yeah. Yeah, and, and strategized Masterminding. and did things, yeah. right? And, you know, did, did that whole thing, but it was a, you know, fully paid for trip for them to say, Hey, thank you. Right. I'm reinvesting right. in, in you guys and you're investing in, in me in this business and let's keep growing this. So the principles of taking care of people, regardless if they're 1099 or W2 or whatever the case may be, I very much give back because they're giving to me and I need to get it's, it's a two way street. Right. So I think that's very important if you're thinking about bringing somebody on to your consultancy. Very good. Well, how do you uh, get clients? You mentioned uh, referrals and mm -hmm. the network. You mentioned social media and so those marketing mm -hmm. arms. Are there any other means in which you secure new clients that you know someone who's in that uh, who's in a similar boat might be able to emulate? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that worked very well for me early on is I got connected to a couple of managing partners at private equity firms ah, um, that had mm, portfolio companies. Portfolio, yeah. And and they were like lower middle market portfolio companies. So I work with companies like the largest company we work with today is I think like 60 million bucks. But our focus is is in that sub $10 million market, right? So uh, it's that three to $10 million market. We're trying to get them to double digits as quick as possible, but make sure it's consistent and repeatable. So I was introduced to uh, a managing partner of a private equity firm here locally in, in the Western New York area. And he had a portfolio company that he needed help with specifically building out a sales team and really professionalizing. And I did that for, for him and that team. Um, I'm actually six years later, still engaged with that organization. Wow. This uh, is a lot. We've done some wonderful work together mm -hmm. and um, that private equity company has referred me into some of their other portfolio companies have referred me to other private equity companies that have portfolio needs in that lower middle market. So that has been a nice feeder outside of things that I generate. Um, referral obviously is, is, is big in our business. Right? Right, right. Um, but the reason I started, uh, a personal brand three years ago is I started a podcast, right. And then I did a, a newsletter and I've kind of done that whole thing and tried to get myself out there because everybody's story is unique. Right. right? So, right. um, I do that to attract and detract, Right attract the companies and the, the right people, people the that I are want to picking work up with. on your vibe. Yeah, exactly. that's right. And detract yeah. the people I don't want to work with. Right. right. Like <laughs> I'm not a burn and churn guy. Like I believe in the people, I believe in the work that they do and I believe in leadership. So if I I've actually turned down business where people say like, Hey, we want to pay you this, but we want you to come and fire the team and then like manage to these metrics. And I'm like, listen, that's not what I, that's not what I'm good at. There's other people out there and God bless them. They can do that work. That's just not me. Right. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, attract and detract. Have you ever had to fire a client? Yes. Yeah. Do you have any yep. stories? So, um, 
essentially it's it's not like a hellacious type of story. Essentially what it was is that as a consultant, and this was early on, and this was a really big learning lesson for me, I was consulting for a company that had a founder and a CEO. They were never on the same page ah, yeah. and they really just wanted to do what they wanted to do, but, and they didn't want to listen to me. So at one point in time, I just walked in and said, listen, um, this isn't working for you and it's not working for me. Um, you're paying me too much money to not get the results. And I'm giving you too much, too many good ideas for you to not implement. This isn't working. I, I believe that we should stop working together in the next 15 days. And here's my offboarding plan. And they were like, you know, wow, that, you that's mean? actually very thorough and very professional approach. The yeah. offboarding plan. I like that. It's an added plus. I would have never even thought about including right. that. That's, that's right. A, that's because a listen, tactic. like, you know, like we talk about burning the ships when I like went all in, but when it yeah. comes to relationships with businesses, even if you're not happy with the people that you're working with, like, you know, my dad used to say, you'll never spit in the wind, right? Like, you know, like, you know, there's, there's other <laughs> analogies that you can use too, but it's like, it's just one of those things where it's not working out and it's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's okay to part and say, this didn't work. Let's shake hands. Let's be respectful. Let me make sure I get you on the right path before mm -hmm. I just leave you high and dry. You pay me what you owe me and all these things. Then we'll walk away friends. And and the interesting thing about that is that client, I still talk to both the founder and that old CEO, and we've referred each other. I was going to ask you, right? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. so it it's, you know, so, so, so that happened, but now I've also said no a lot to, to new clients, right? Like, so, but have you ever said clients, yes, no. but have you ever said yes to bad money or maybe yes. early days, you I know, when that runway, okay. What's that story? Cause and I know I have mine. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually it was through one of my consultants. Um, and we brought on this deal, this, this, this company, and we do a pretty thorough discovery process. Mm -hmm. And I was reviewing the discovery with my consultant and there was red flags. And I was like, Hey, this is a red flag. This is a red flag. This is a red flag. And he was like, yeah, you're right. He's like, but there's this and there's this and there's this. And I was like, okay. I was like, and this, this company had a, had a track record of hi, of hiring and firing every outside agency they ever worked with. Ugh. And I was like, listen, this is no, we're going to be no different unless we make massive, massive changes. Okay. And ultimately we did work with them for 18 months. Wow. Um, okay. They reduced our fee after six months because they were struggling. And then they out and out fired us um, 90 days after they, they downgraded. Um, and it quite honestly was a blessing that, that we got Usually terminated from mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. We just took on a client for the money that we were not going to really be able to fully change. And that was a learning experience for me because I knew all the red flags, but I allowed the client to come in out of necessity to fill a client for a consultant. Right. And I won't ever do that again. Um, because it just is, it's bad money. Well, the burning the boats concept doesn't just apply to starting the business. It's a continuous right. thing. You Correct. have to trust your ICP, your, mm -hmm. you know, whatever your best customer looks yep. like. If yep. the red flags are are there, you got to burn the boat. Sure. You know, it's more time with better sure. prospects. And especially in this line of business, I mean, you uh, I remember talking to another consultant, uh, Ken Lundin, he was saying mm -hmm. how if you feel that you need to be tested, like if they're offering certain, ser asking for certain services that yeah. you don't normally do, but you're like, hey, I can 
maybe I can prove myself here. Sure. I can be tested if I test myself and sure. not get the money out of it. Uh, you need not be tested, right? Yeah. Like just yep. stay, yep. stick with what you know and yeah. stick with what you're capable of. And don't be afraid to walk away from, from yeah. particularly from bad money. Even if the, the work is the right work, but if you're not, uh, that my that's my most recent situation was uh, they had said yes to my pricing, but just through the interactions, uh, you know, it was a sales development playbook mm -hmm. that we were going to build out. And that was just the engagement for that. And yeah. pricing was aligned, but the interactions were very uh, off. And so yeah. I, I, on that note alone, the communication over email, it was already turning into like a subservient thing. It wasn't like sure. I was coming in on a level that they were looking to get input and advice and support with this deliverable just knocked the water bottle off my desk um but yeah the the, the yeah. personal relationship aspect of it too i think is is sure one of those things to keep in mind yeah and and, and the the interesting thing is if you do this long enough you're going to have those situations right so right, right. you know anyone that's out there and they say they're a unicorn consultant and they've never had an issue or they've only everything they touch turns to gold it's like at some point in time you're going to touch something that doesn't turn to gold well you just haven't now, been doing it long enough or right. enough you know right yeah. exactly mm -hmm. and and it was one of those situations where as a consultant also like i have very specific payment terms um and i bill in the beginning of the month right for work to be rendered throughout that month interesting i don't work and then, and then invoice Right. Um, it's just the way as a consultant, that's the way it works. If I'm going to block my time and I'm going to provide these things, this is the way the payment terms work. And when people start trying to negotiate your terms and negotiate the way it works and all these things, that's a red flag. And I've in, in six years, I've never had to like charge off any bad debt. Right. And I just did that with this client I'm, I'm, I'm referencing because I just couldn't spend any more time and energy on it. I basically, they were, they were two months behind. And I said, you know what? I'm wiping my hands clean of this. We're done. I'm not going to spend any more time or effort. I'll take this as an L and I'll move on with my head held high. And that's just what we have to do. Right. Wow. So, um, wow. bad, bad money's real. Yeah, no, this is some real, real lessons uh, yeah. for those that are in a revenue leadership role, whether you're an SDR manager, director, or your VP of sales and you want to advise down the road and maybe do your own consultancy, these are real stories to keep in mind. So hopefully this helps you navigate those yeah. waters. And if you're already in that seat in your early days in your career, or even been doing this for a while, and you think about scaling up, again, real world examples that you can tap into. Now, sure. final question on your practice. You have a finance background. You know the numbers really well, yep. right? Um, Will you ever sell Nagar Consulting? Is that the long-term objective? Maybe do you think you'll have it? So, th so that's a great question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, my answer to that is I don't know. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, this is a, when I said it's a lifestyle business, this, this is what I mean. I believe that there will be a sellable asset at some point in time, but I am not waiting or, or like working towards a sale. I love what I do. I'm good at it. I can do this for the rest of my life right? In some capacity, I could have one client Literally. when I'm 80, if I really yeah, want no, to. Yeah, no, that's, that's, good enough, that's the beauty right? of this. It's like golf. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So that's the beauty of it. Um, mm -hmm. The way I look at it is the income I earn 
I'm investing it. I'm creating multiple streams of income on my own through the money I make through my consultancy. So I'm being aggressive with what I earn and putting it in other places so I can set myself up so I don't have to worry about, well, I need to sell this for $3 million so I can retire. Right or whatever it is, because you have um, other perpetual have other things, things going, going on. on. Yeah, right. so I'm, I imagine I'm, one I'm of those is real from, estate. You know, yeah, I'm far from being there, by the way. Just, just, <laughs> but like the fact of the matter is, I'd rather have the money come in through Naker and me have the the ability to to figure out where yeah, I want to put. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. If you can, if you that's the leverage, right? If you can create revenue, yep. then it allows you to create assets, right? Yeah. So that's, I love that. Yeah. And we should have an episode just on, you know, on yeah. passive income and, and, totally. and sorts of things. Yeah. Um, cool. So you have uh, a growth assessment. Let's switch mm -hmm. gears. Let's talk sure. a little bit about uh, some, some best practices and tactics around driving revenue specifically in yeah. our final few minutes here. Sure. So I know you launched your growth assessment relatively recently and yep. you were talking with me offline mm -hmm. about that. And the, what, just for the audience, what kind of teed up that, topic for us was the real like underpinning question of this show. What is the toughest problem that you're seeing? I asked Jason this, what are you the, what's the toughest problem you're seeing in driving revenue for B2B sales organizations? And so we went down this discussion around this growth assessment. So talk about this holistic view that mm -hmm. a, a lot of organizations aren't taking in order to drive revenue. Yeah. So over the course of the past six years, one of the things that I found to be the hardest when it was working with clients was the beginning discovery phases mm -hmm. of working with a client. We oftentimes come in having meetings with the CEO or the president or somebody in a, a fairly high decision-making uh, role. And what we need to understand what they need to grow is a lot of information. And it's not just sales right? It's not just revenue, right? It's a holistic view of the business, right? So leadership, org structure, ownership, ownership structure, right? And then, you know, how, you know, what is your turnover been like? What's the leadership? Like what's the revenue sales marketing? What funnels do you have set up, right? A holistic approach, you know, what technologies are you using, right? Who's your ideal customer? You know, what's your new revenue percentage versus your existing revenue, right? Um, you know, what's your renewal versus your new and what you're know, looking at those over multiple years. So what we found was that we were struggling to really pull this information out of the clients because they may want to just focus on this end. Mm -hmm. So what we decided to do is instead of really struggle and wrestle with this, we created a product that we coined our, our Naker Growth Assessment, where if somebody wants to come in and work with us, we have this proprietary uh, digital assessment that they have to fill out. They fill out, it comes to us, we schedule a 60 minute review, and then we talk about what we learned, we clarify, and then we point them in the direction of where we think they should look to grow. Okay. If they would like to hire us to help them with that, then we do that. But even if they don't want to hire us, we give them something to go to walk away with. And we have an understanding of their business. Not, right. it's not hundred percent right. understanding, call it 70 or 80%, right? Where oftentimes we are fighting to get 30 or 40% understanding of what's happening in the business. Therefore, this has created a really good jump off point so we can make strong, educated decisions on, do we want this client? Can we help them? Mm -hmm. What are their main needs and where should we point them to grow? Yeah, and I can relate. They will assume and often maybe be correct in what that problem that needs to be solved and what the solution that they're proposing is, right? I mean, as a right. consultant, right, you you 
understand the problem. You come up with a framework, you, you develop work streams and you work it out. Um, but yeah, taking a step back and really questioning their assumption a little bit and having a more holistic view of it. The challenge I would see though, in that is, you know, if you're dealing with companies that are sub 10 million specifically, a lot of this, they're just not going to know. Uh, a lot of it is, I would imagine, I know, do, do you find that where, we do, and if, and if so, like, how do you solve for that in your assessment phase? If they don't really have a lot of the data points that you're talking about, like the dichotomy of different analytics. Sure. So what, what we'll do is we'll be able to say like, Hey, this is, you, you're not really quite sure on this. Now they should be able to, if they've been in business for three years, they should know like their, you know, their, their, their revenue numbers and like their profit numbers. Like you can pull that from. Yeah. Yeah. Top, right? top line stuff. Yes. Top absolutely. Line, yeah, right. yeah. You've been founder led mostly during those right. three years. You might have one or two salespeople, yep. but we're not really copious about tracking everything from start to finish. Cause we've just been right. building while we fly. And so what, what happens is when we do, when we do this, this 60 minute meetup, like we'll, we'll look at those areas and say, well, can you talk to me? If you don't have the numbers, talk to me a little bit about like how you feel here. Like what's going mm-hmm. on here? What do you think your biggest issues are? You know, do like a SWOT analysis type of thing. And, and that is extremely telling to begin with, because we start to understand how these, how these leaders are thinking, what they want out of the organization, where they think the problems are versus our educated opinion on probably where it actually is. And um, we like to partner with both the leadership and the rest of the organization. So we are, we're fairly bold when we talk to leaders and say like, Hey, listen, like this, this is an issue. You may not think it's an issue because of this, but our experience shows that this is an issue. Therefore, as we go through and talk about working together, this is something that we would like you to keep in mind and and put some attention towards. So, um, in when we work with sub 10 million, we really like the three plus, right? So there's enough revenue coming in where they have some leadership built and things of that nature. We'll work with well-capitalized startups, but um, we like people that are making enough money where A, we can get paid and B, there's enough work that we can do to come in and say like, Hey, this is, these are the levers that we can pull to help you grow. So whether it's, you know, variable compensation audits, go to market assessments, you know, playbook building, um, all sorts of things like, you know, the, the strategy of the revenue models, partnerships, things of that nature, we can look at all of those realms and, and figure out what's the best and easiest path forward to generate, not just revenue, consistent foundational revenue that is going to help them get better. We're not a magic wand and a shot in the arm that makes them grow. And then we go away and they don't grow. What we care most about is replacing ourselves, right? So they can continue to grow. And it's just another story of seeds that we helped water that, that grew into big trees. Well, this has came up in my head now hearing you talk about that. And if you go back to your payment terms discussion, do you ever, or have you ever, uh, like, structure this based on outcomes. Cause if you're saying that that's what you're here for yeah. is that outcome, right? That chain, that long-term yeah. benefit that sticks. Do you tie your fees to that or, yep. cause you were explaining earlier that your fees are built up front and then services are rendered and then you invoice. Yeah. So I'm trying to, yep. yeah. Depending upon, right. So we do project work and retainer work. Okay. Right? So um, if we're doing a variable comp audit or a go-to-market assessment, that's a fixed fee, right? Like this is a fixed fee. This is what it is. If we are engaging in like a strategic growth initiative, um, depending on the opportunity, we will say, hey, we'll lower our retainer fee to take take some points on the backside, you know, so we both have skin in the game. And I'm 
I'm a big fan of that. But what I learned over time, you need to understand the business before you commit to the skin. Right. 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 So it's know your bets. You gotta, yeah, <laughs> know you your gotta bets. know it's right. You gotta know where you're placing your bets. Yeah. So so we have tried to productize some of our business. So we get a we get a snapshot and a and a real look into the business. And then if it graduates into a larger type of retainer arrangement, we will ask for upside. And quite honestly, I love that because as a consultant, they're happy to cut those right. checks because they've 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 seen it, right? And those checks, when you when you negotiate properly, those are big checks, right? right? Oh, it also so, makes marketing and selling your business. I'd imagine that much easier too. If yeah. you have outcomes that uh, are proven and you're That's willing right. to, you know, to have that discussion up front that, you know, look, there's not a whole lot of risk you're taking up front. You're it's it's mainly gonna right. come on the back end that you're when, when you see the results. Uh, so yep. that's gonna yep. be a favorable position. For sure. Yep. Yep. Um, so this assessment, when you go through it, uh mm -hmm. Right. Every company is different, but you've ran it a bunch of times, I'm sure, by now. Yep. Yep. And there's all sorts of juicy stuff that comes out of assessments, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's an interview base, or you're looking at data, mm -hmm. or you're inspecting the systems, if you have a pragmatic uh, tool like yours. But what what are the net, in terms of top issues, right? Going back to what's preventing us from driving revenue, what's helping drive revenue, the the big tough problems. So having a holistic view of the business and starting there, A1, got it. But if I did that assessment, I went through and I looked at all the 25, last 25 that yep. you did, what are the top issues or opportunities that you're seeing that are netting out of these assessments? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a number of clarity and model, right? Okay. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of companies that will see that like the clarity in the revenue model is just not appropriate, right? They maybe started one way, but it's not working or it's not amounting to what they need it to amount to. And they've been singularly focused. So, so revenue model is, is in clarity on that model has been one of the things we've come up with. We're in a recessive environment, right? So a lot of people are looking at their go-to-market teams, right? Like, is my go-to-market team good enough? Are they doing the right things or what's happening? And all of those things. So we've seen a lot of go-to-market assessment questions happen where they say, like, we just don't think our people are very good, or we don't think they're working hard enough. And that's something that we really have to peel back and uncover. And the only way we can do that is actually doing a go-to-market assessment. We'll do pipeline reviews, right? We'll do one-on-one -on -one meetings with the team, ask them a bunch of questions, understand what they're doing. Oh, so this is an additional and assessment to the, the growth assessment. Then you have a go-to-market assessment. Correct. So essentially the growth, the growth uh, assessment is the overarching, like, intake of discovery and okay. then we'll say like, okay, here's some issues. What would you like, here's where we think you need to focus on. What would you like to prioritize first? And oftentimes people are saying, I need to go to market assessment. And, and what I would tell you is it's not that a lot of these people need to be turned over. They need to be led better. They need to be managed better and directed more efficiently on what they should be doing the clarity, on a daily basis yeah, to the get clarity. Outcomes, yeah, right. Yeah. The clarity, right? Yeah. So so that has been. So what does that equate to? Is that like having a better playbook? Is that uh, better communication? Uh, where, how does one develop better clarity in their go-to-market? What are the, the what are the solutions to that? So there, there. I mean, it's it's a broad. There's a number of them, right? Like you had mentioned, like ICP, right? Like I just recently worked with a client. They were selling, you know, they were the activities that they were doing. Like it made sense, but they were selling to a market that was counterintuitive to what they were doing. They're a $3 million organization, right? And you know, they're, they're v, they've got VC backing, right? They're looking to, to grow. 
and they're they're taking big swings at large enterprise accounts. Whale hunting. And it's like mm-hmm. they're whale hunting. I'm like, listen, you're gonna you need to prove that you can sell the small before you can get to the big. So get here, get some velocity. Correct. Right. Okay. And then we can graduate and we can build that motion. But it's like we need to show consistent revenue. We need consistent yeses. And then we can graduate and then we can graduate. But they were they were big whale hunting and that was problematic. And we've been able to fix that. And they've been able to bring revenue in and they just got a commitment for more money. Right. So it's nice. like these are the things that um, you know, in certain situations, it's it's ultimately sometimes being managed by like, oh, I need to be a, a, a nine figure business. It's like, how about you become a seven figure business or an eight figure business <laughs> before you worry about being a nine figure business? Because yeah. COVID's over, right? We live in a world where valuations are down. You need to go back to proving that you can actually sell because the money's going to drive up, dry up if you can't prove it. So those are some of the issues that we've dealt with recently. And then I run into really wacky variable compensation plans, like being a sales guy and growing up in sales, just like I did, like, you got to pay your people. Like you just got to pay your people. Like if you're a leader out there and you're listening, like pay your people well, pay them for when revenue comes in, when the cash register rings, pay them because they'll keep making it ring. But but so many are so tight with their budget and they, well, we have to go buy this software to do it. It's like, okay, well, can you do without the software or can you do without the revenue? Your mm. choice. Revenue's the lifeblood of businesses, sure. <laughs> right? Revenue's the lifeblood of businesses. Right. Get the revenue, pay the people, rinse, repeat. Well, let me ask you a question in response to that. The, the theme these days is efficient growth. Mm-hmm. Right, to your point, COVID is over. We don't have... Yeah the trajectory of digital transformation the way we used to, uh, things are back to reality, if you will, right? Uh, Or we're in a retracted environment, as you say. Um, So if the theme is to do more with less, and we know what that lends itself to, artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence, sure, right? So what what are you seeing in that realm then, right? Is that the response? Is that what people are asking about? You know, where do we go with this in the short order in terms of incorporating AI to be more efficient in our growth? So I, I think, you know, the, the, you know, I've used chat GBT. I've got, I, I've got the $20 paid subscription and, you know, I'm messing with the Google one too, and all that type of stuff. They're right. very valuable. What, what I find most valuable, what you could find valuable for you as an organization is like, how does it shortcut you to help get outputs, Right. It's not set it and forget it and let the computer tell you everything you need to say. And you just rinse repeat because I've seen some terrible sales emails generated from chat GPT, right? Because people are being lazy and they're but, playing. The- but wait, we've also seen a shit ton of terrible emails come from salespeople. Totally. Totally. <laughs> like, right. Totally, like, if right. not even, I, I would say if you were to test them, you know, entry level, first couple of years as a seller, to chat yep. GPT. I don't know. I might put my money on a, on an so, artificial intel- and I wouldn't say chat GPT. Let me, let me just to, for my clarity, uh, of, of, for the question it's, I'm not even referring to chat GPT in these public right. models. I'm, I'm thinking more of lavender, uh, lead IQ, yep. true base. These companies are yep. creating chat GPT based AI yes. tools that are displacing a lot of the functions that we do as sellers or as SDRs. Yep. And I think, so with that, I, I would agree you know, it comes down to the right people, right? If you can, Mm. if you can find the right person to run the right playbooks that are AI generated and and you can create personal with the AI generation, the right way, speaking directly to your ICP, 
problem solution. I believe when you talk about efficient revenue, that's how you can create efficient revenue. And people say like, oh, AI is going to take over the world. It's like, well, you have to adjust and make sure that you're using it properly for efficient revenue because there's a, there's still a human need, right? For AI, Especially when it comes to sellers. AI, but not AI. AGI. Artificial general intelligence, when it reaches that point, which isn't Google CEO has already talked about this. Elon right. talks about this. Sure. You know, AGI is when it's as smart as a human or not, or if not smarter yep. and can do everything a human can do. I mean, think about deep fake, you know, phone communication. So this is where I'm yep. kind of geeking out here and we'll end here. I'm sorry, but yeah. I put a post up recently on LinkedIn about this. Go check it out. Uh, is actually on Twitter. It was like the future will be SDR. There will be some, not like completely replacing all salespeople and SDRs, yep. but I genuinely believe that there will be an SDR AI bot who can manage every channel, who can show up on LinkedIn, who can show up on phone, who can show up on email. You can have a fully interactive dialogue and they'll just yep. say, hi, I'm your AI rep. How can I help you? The same way we do web chat, but more yep. advanced. And if you think about it, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you would have never thought you'd done all your grocery shopping and clothes shopping sure. and all this yep. with, over an app on your phone. But now yep. here we are. And so I... I don't know. I, I, do you think we will get to that point in the near future? Do you think that's where AI is just not going to take over the world? Uh, but once we have true AGI models, you know, the, I feel like a lot of sales and marketing people are are too feel too comfortable, right? To your point, you need to be the best of the best in your yep. in your lane because yep. we are going to downsize. We don't need the ten, we don't need fifteen SDRs now. We need four because we have Correct. all of this going. And I would, I would agree with that. I would agree with the fact that the headcount side of things when it comes to sales is going to be greatly affected and it needs to be, the playbook needs to be ran the right way from an organizational standpoint to understand what it is. Because mm. the mistake that people are making is they'll jump into AI and be like, oh, I don't need any of this. I'm going to fire my whole sales team and I'm just going to work this. And it's like, well, you're going to need to work this out and it's going to fail a bunch. Right. You're you going to orchestrate it still. You need human right. you agency to, to oversee right. it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I do believe it's the future. I mean, I, you know, the technology wave is, is going to get faster and faster. Mm. And for guys like you and I, like I'm a aware of it. Um, I'm aware of, of what needs to happen, but the only thing that I can control is the outcomes I get for my clients. So the more outcomes I get, and if I can leverage the right type of technology, I can hopefully continue to stay relevant and, and time will tell whether or not guys like you or I can do that, but I, okay. I'm going to continue to focus on those outcomes. Awesome. Well, uh, this has been a phenomenal discussion. Uh, thank you, Jason, very much. have learned a lot uh, in terms of starting a sales consultancy, running a sales consultancy, and the philosophies that you have going into that. So really appreciate you being so open with us on, on this. Where do you want to send people to learn more and follow you? Yeah. So, so just check out nakerconsulting.com. Um, you can go on there. There's, you know, links to, to connect with me, to, to find me on LinkedIn and, you know, all that type of stuff, the growth assessments on there, if that's something that you're interested in, but check out nakerconsulting.com, N-A-C-R-E consulting.com. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.